You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Even though the focus for me right now is more on the writing, I can't not teach. It's really important to me, and it's important for me to feel connected to my community and to feel like I'm giving something back to kids who you know, might be interested in the arts in their lives in some way, or who just need to see directly what the arts can bring to their own experiences. As soon as I just settle on one definition of myself or role to play, I feel empty in that sort of just trying to be, this is what I am. But if I can be and exist in, in more of a non-linear way and, and just try to draw when I can and hold someone's hand when I can and be a teacher, be present when I can, be patient when I can, I, I, I feel more alive. I feel more alive that way. I feel like I'm, I'm part of the universe, that I'm, I'm here. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepherd Financial. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 105, airing for the first time on Sunday, September 15, 2013. Today's show theme is Words of Wisdom, with guests Gibson Fay LeBlanc, writer and teacher, and Rowan Henry, author of The Perfect Gift. Words are an important means of self-expression, perhaps even more so when used sparingly. Poet Gibson Fay LeBlanc and author-illustrator Rowan Henry share their passion for words and how this has challenged them to help others communicate in unique ways. Words have become an increasingly important means of communication. In the year 1450, German goldsmith Johannes Gutenberg invented our first modern printing press. This allowed the spread of ideas through mass duplication of text. The written word, its usage once limited to scholars, religious, and individuals of means, went mainstream. Fast forward to the 20th century. Computers and the creation of the internet enabled the written word to go digital, thus further breaking down barriers to its utilization. Simultaneously, the spoken word has gained ground through use of recording devices and new media such as podcasts, We love our words any way we can get them. But what happens when the overuse of words desensitizes us to the unspoken, unwritten message? What happens when individuals for whom words do not come easily, such as children with autism spectrum disorder, are asked to participate in society at large? And what happens when an overabundance of words, instantly available in an online format, causes us to use less care when crafting a poem or a love letter, thus diminishing its impact? As with most things, too much of a good thing can indeed have its consequences. Fortunately, there are among us individuals who maintain a dedication to the art of communication. 
Gibson Faleblanc is a poet, education advocate, and past director of The Telling Room, who delights in helping children and adults understand the pleasure of an artfully crafted sentence. Author and illustrator Rowan Henry helps us to see that words are often all the more powerful when absent. Modern man has known great benefit from access to words written and spoken. Now we must be reminded of the communication that takes place in the spaces in between. I hope you enjoy our show, Words of Wisdom. As a relatively new radio show, it hasn't been often that I've had the chance to sit across the microphone from someone who has previously been a guest. But I am doing that today. This is Gibson Faye LeBlanc, who um, was one of, I believe, our guests on the very first Dr. Lisa Radio Hour in September of 2011. Sounds right. <laughs> yep. Talking about The Telling Room, which was your life at the time. I believe you were exiting out of The Telling Room. And unfortunately, I think we didn't get to spend as much time talking with you as we wanted. And you've been doing a lot of very interesting things since then. So thanks for coming back and having another conversation with me. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Now, Gibson, at the time you were with The Telling Room, and I do want to talk about that, but I subsequently went and listened to you read from your book, um, your collection of poems, Death of a Ventriloquist, which went on to win the Vassar Miller Prize and received a starred review from Publishers Weekly, also spent several weeks on the Poetry Foundation's list of contemporary bestsellers, and was featured by poets and writers as one of a dozen debut collections to watch. You've really sort of manifested in a kind of completely different and unique way. Yeah, well, um, you know, I've always been a writer, um, but it's usually been sort of back burner for me. Um, You know, teaching is really important to me as well, and I love to work with kids and adults. I've kind of taught at every level there is to teach at. Um, And working at the telling room um, is a tremendously gratifying place to work. Um, And I still am involved there, and I still teach there. But... um, Uh, A couple years ago, I had a chance to put the writing on the front burner, um, and so that's been exciting for me to do that. Um, And interestingly, um, I've been working on this collection of poems for a long time, or several years. That counts as a long time, I think. Um, And um, I had been very close to publishing it um, in in many different small presses and contests. I was finalist. I got notes from editors, effusive notes, saying how much they loved it and why. Yet, but like, um, and it wasn't until I decided to leave the telling room that it um, was actually won this prize and was published. And so it was. It seemed almost like one of those things that um, you know I had finally committed to my writing, and that's when it finally broke through and and was published. So it was a kind of a nice um, the universe telling me maybe that I had made a good decision. Well, that is what is always said is that once you finally focus your energies in the direction of your passion right. then that's that sort of can i don't know start that fire it's like the magnifying glass in the sunlight exactly so it is interesting that you were then subsequently rewarded for, right. with that exactly. happening exactly you have your book with you right here yeah. i heard you do this at i think it was space gallery when yep. you first when your book first came out yeah i was struck by the sort of range of poems one of them was I think it was describing your child's, well, it was describing fatherhood. Yeah. 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 Um, you also did a poem about hockey, yeah. which is a passion of yours. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to see which one you're going to read for us now. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I might read um, one of my fatherhood poems because uh, those, I mean, many people can connect to that, um, whether you're a father or a parent or 
just a, an uncle or an aunt or, you know, that people can connect to, to that part. Um, and there's a strain of poems in the book that are, that come out of fatherhood and um, uh, really trying to figure out how to be a father. Um, and so uh, this is one that I wrote while I was living in New York City, um, and I had just finished grad school um, where, you know, really focused on, on writing and teaching, um, and then all of a sudden I was, I was home with this baby. <laughs> um, and my wife was, was back at work at um, finishing her residency at NYU. So, um, and so we were, and we were in a 400-square-foot apartment, New York City, um, third-floor walk-up. You know, you can picture the, <laughs> the thing here. Um, and, um, and this baby who cried all the time. So it was, uh, it was a, it was a test. It was a really, it was a test. And so I it really became a, um, one of my subjects over, over the last several years. It's become something I write about a lot, um, is, is fatherhood and my kids, um, and thinking about that. And so this is, uh, how to make fatherhood lyrical, how to make fatherhood lyrical. I could describe the arc of piss as sanctifying the changing table or argue that his wailing resembles a certain style of opera. One develops a taste for its peaks as evidence of proper training, the cultivation of a gift. I might tell you that when the dog tugs the leash in one direction and the stroller rolls in the other, it's similar to the push and pull of family and vocation and each in turn alters its course. Surely I'd research and touch on why gerbils eat their young and moose will charge if you dare step between mother and calf. But none of this is the truth I tell myself or don't, depending on the morning. It's not a set of lyrics, it's prose, as in pedestrian, a man on foot, not some freak stallion, not a Clydesdale, not even a draft. And every day I have to choose whether to write myself in. How old are your kids now? They're now eight and five, so they're much further along. <laughs> this really um, is something that I can relate to. And actually, it's funny because I was going to refer to the, the arc because I had remembered that you had read that poem, I believe, at Space Gallery. Yeah. And, and this is something that I think a lot of people in the creative field struggle with that when you're raising a child, all of your creativity kind of gets sucked over there. Yeah, and for sure. the growth that you would like to do in your own writing or music or whatever it is, ends up being channeled mm -hmm. towards these progeny of yours and you never realize that it was gonna be quite as challenging. Mm -hmm, definitely. And, and you're right, it's, it can be so physically exhausting that you just, you wake up in the morning and you're just lucky to get the diaper on the kid and Definitely. The kid on the school bus. Yeah, I went through a, a few, several. I would, I'm not sure exactly how much time, but there were a few years in there where I was not writing a lot, or I was just taking notes, or I was just in any 30 second break that I had, I was I was trying to get something down. Um, but you're right, the energy goes toward the kid as it as it has to, you know, when you're trying to survive that early period um, and make sure the the kid survives that early period. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of work and it's a lesson in it not being about you, um, being about this other being that you help create. Um, so, um, but it's also, I found it uh, important and great to um, 
as they've gotten older to, to make sure I make my writing a priority and, and, and for them to see that and to see that it's part of my life and this creative side is something that is, you know, that I really need to do and that I've got to find the, the, you know, the spaces of time to do. So, but it's a constant juggling act, even at this point with, um, eight and five there, I still feel like I, I can't quite imagine. I have writer friends who go and do the two week or the month away at a, at a colony. And I, I can't quite wrap my mind around that yet. Maybe I think I could get up to a week at this point. I've done some, some, some stuff like that, but, um, it just seems like a long time to be away, um, at this stage of their, of their development. In the time that you were writing this poem, you were talking about it as being prose. Right. And really not poetry at all. Right. <laughs> On the other side of having a very small child who cries all the time, are you able to find any lyricism in it? For sure. Um, I mean, there are those moments, you know, even in the middle of the night or, um, you know, when things just when you know, you're about to cry and you laugh instead, <laughs> you know, there are those moments or just, you know, you're, you're, you know, one of my sons looks at me a certain way or cocks their head in the same way as my wife, or, you know, you just have those moments of clarity in the whole process. And I think that's what poetry is really about for me in those, those moments, good or bad, you know, or in between. Um, but, um, just, you know, trying to, uh, unpack those moments and all the emotion that can that can be surging through you at those times. We'll return to our program in a moment. On the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast, we've long understood the important link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the subject is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Money buys food, it buys clothes, medicine, shelter, heat, power, transportation. We're told that it buys education, prestige, fun, and excitement. We understand when someone says that money can't buy happiness or love. We may cringe a bit when studies show that more money leads to more sex, and that more sex can lead to more money. This law of attraction, though, seems to indicate that with the right food, clothes, house, car, etc., we can attract the opposite sex and then make our same sex and their money more attracted to us. Returning to the basics, though, money buys food, clothes, medicine, shelter, heat, power, transportation, the resources. Investing in these things and spend time, love, and energy will get you happiness and love. If you need help figuring this all out, contact us at info at shepherdfinancialmain.com and we'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention 
advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. I think you embody or represent this sort of new man. <laughs> it's, you're like the man of our generation. I mean, you are a poet and a writer, um, an educator, and a father, and you have a professional wife. You're also a hockey player <laughs> and a musician, I believe. No, not not so much with the music, but <laughs> not so much with the music. The other stuff I'll claim. The other stuff you'll claim. Okay. And I think this is what we have all thought that we would aspire to. You know, after the women, the equal rights movement, we all thought, well, men and women are equal, and right. we could all go out and we could all right. have everything. Right. But there's certain challenges, and for sure, for sure. I mean, there are some things that there. I feel like you know, there are some things that I. There are a lot of things that come much more naturally to me as a dad. Um, and other things that I really have to work at. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much of it is um, related to me specifically being a man or, you know, it's always hard to track what, what that stuff is. But certainly some, some pieces of parenthood or fatherhood come a lot less easily to me, especially as I'm doing work that is, you know, at least traditionally was or was thought as being a woman's work, you know, in our house or... Um, with the kids, um, or going to PTO meetings, or you know th- things like that that are, um, yeah, that 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 aren't traditionally seen as being man stuff. But um, I mean, I feel lucky to be able to do it, um, and uh, I feel like a lot of um, fathers still in our culture miss out on a lot of a lot of stuff in their kids' lives um, and aren't able to um, see a lot and. Um, so I feel privileged to be able to, to, to be a part of their lives and to see what's going on. But there are definitely times when I'm, when I'm also saying to my sons, um, you know, you better, we better wait till mom comes home to deal with that one, you know. And there are certain things that they just aren't going to want to, um, they're just not as quick to open up to me about or, you know, um, they still really, you know, there are times when they really, the comfort of their mom is, you know, I can give them comfort, but it's a different kind of comfort. Um, and uh, I'm a little bit more willing to sort of let them um, do things that, that I think Renee would say, well, what are you doing, you know, um, you know, diving off the couch or I don't know, something. There's there's some things that I, I sort of let things go a little, a little farther often. Um, and, you know, I think that there are times when that's good and times when, when, uh, uh, maybe it's not, but. <laughs> but you're making it work. Yeah, yeah. You also spend a considerable amount of time with other people's children. Right. You were involved in, I believe, a year-long project with a local school here in Portland, mm-hmm. um, which was very much invested in bringing arts to the children in this in this school. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. Um, well, my oldest son goes to Ocean Avenue Elementary School here in Portland, um, and as I um, he's only, he's just finished the second grade. And so he's just been there for three years. And as I've gotten more involved with the school, um, 
I just wanted I, I wanted to see more of a focus on arts. I wanted I've having been involved with the arts community in Portland through the Telling Room. I know how great it is and how many great teaching artists there are and people who are really working on their their particular craft, whatever it is, and are really also gifted at bringing that to kids in a way that um, you know even a great teacher um, is is still a teacher in a different way than an artist who's coming into a classroom. It's just two different things. Um, and so I really wanted to see more artists in the school. Um, and I noticed over time working at the, at the PT, at, or being involved with the PTO and, and being at the school, that there are also this, just in our, in our school community, there are these great artists who are parents, who are sort of this resource that the school wasn't drawing on. I think we have one parent who's uh, a, a dancer and a longtime um, teacher of dance at the Paths, uh, uh, that the high school, the Ports, Portland Arts and Technology High School, um, and uh, another parent who runs a local music program for kids um, where they do rock and roll. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's some things that we decided, okay, let's see if we can get some of this stuff into the school. So, um, so I was able to write a grant to the Arts Commission, and we were able to get some funding to help support um, support that those programs and and we're hoping to do it again next year um but it's a it's a great way to get these artists in front of kids to open up school a little bit more i think whenever you do the arts um it does a couple things one is it brings more kids into school like into being interested in school in a way that um often doesn't happen so there's you know those kids who are already figuring out even at first or second grade that school is not for them and doing, you know, dance or um, a performance project or songwriting or, uh, you know, writing um, comics for a school magazine. You know, those are things that aren't often valued in school. And so to value them in the school community is huge to, for those kids. And then the other thing is I just I also really wanted to see that great community moment where you've got kids and artists and parents who all come together and celebrate the arts and say this is something that's important to us. And so we had a night um, at the end of May where we were able to do that. We had four or 500 people packed into this cafeteria at the school, and we had kids up there um, singing songs they wrote, um, dancing, reading things that they wrote. And it was just a great, great community moment. You know, we often do that for sports or other things, but we don't do it as much for the arts as we as we should, especially at the younger ages so it was really a really good good way to to value you know to show how our community can be can value the arts and be changed by the arts you've had a broad variety of experiences in your life what's next for you i'm trying to finish the novel that i've been working on for a few years pretty intensely um, which is you know one of the the writing project that's taken the most of my attention since i left the telling room um and hopefully I'm getting closer. <laughs> I have a, a new draft that I'm just about to, just finishing up here, um, that I'm going to um, put in front of some some friends who are writers who can give me some thoughts on, you know, where it is. Um, and, uh, and then we'll see. You know, I'm going to still, um, I'm going to continue to be teaching at the Telling Room and doing things at Ocean Avenue and probably other schools because um, that, to me, I can't do, I can't, even though the focus for me right now is more on the writing, I can't 
not teach. <laughs> um, it's really important to me, and it's important to, for me to feel connected to my community um, and to feel like I'm giving something back to kids who, um, you know, might be interested in the arts in their lives in some way or who just need to see directly what the arts can bring to their own experiences. It's almost two years since you left the telling room. Yeah. And the telling room has been around for... Um, let's see, five years before that, so they're going on seven, eight years. Yeah. What has the telling room brought to Portland and the surrounding community? Um, I think it's really filled a, a, a really important niche. Um, and there's a great arts community in um, Portland and southern Maine, and, and well, there's pockets all over Maine. But... Um, uh, but but there was nobody focused on writing and storytelling um, and kids um, in the way that the telling room has. And so I think that's the reason why the growth curve of the telling room has just been kind of crazy and ridiculous. You know, it's just been straight up pretty much um, since since I started there when we when we first started um, when I first started at the telling room, they were just getting off the ground, um, and I was working out of my living room, and you know it was very part-time and but we knew we had something this great idea and people were already starting to get really interested in it um and as we started working with kids it just you know the more and more people that saw what we could do with with storytelling and kids and writing the more the more it's grown and so yeah it's really been it was a tremendous thing to be a part of and it's also tremendous now to sit back and you know be involved but from more of a distance and to sort of watch it continue to grow and develop and push into new arenas so um and, and i think the telling room has become like some other arts nonprofits like space gallery or, or or some other places has become now at this point kind of like a vital cog in the arts scene um something that people can't imagine doing without which is i think um a testament to to all the folks and all the many folks who are involved there so Gibson, your book, Death of a Ventriloquist, is available at Longfellow Books here yeah. in Portland. How can people find out more about you and your writing? Um, I have a website, gibsonfeleblanc.com, and they can um, check out poems and hear about things. I have um, something on there called The Sentence Project, which is a little pet project where I pick out favorite sentences from prose and poems that I'm reading um, and just talk a little bit about why I think they are interesting or why they work. Um, and there's, um, they can also see more information about my book on there and order it through Amazon or different, or, or the, um, independent booksellers, et cetera. Thank you for bringing the arts to the children of the city of Portland and surrounding communities, um, through the telling room. Thank you for bringing your poetry to the airwaves with us this morning. Um, I really appreciate taking the time to, or you taking the time to talk with us. We've been talking with Gibson Fay LeBlanc poet and educator and father. Thanks for having me. We on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast hope that our listeners enjoy their own work lives to the same extent we do and fully embrace every day. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. Words are powerful things. They inspire us and teach us. They help us make sense of the world around us, and sometimes they move us to tears. It all depends on how what we read is written, 
how the author intended to move us. The same thought can be translated to numbers and accounting. How does what you're looking at make you feel about the strength of your business? Are you on the right track? Is your business running as smoothly as possible? And what can you do to change the course if you need to? It's interesting how so many people don't keep as close an eye on their business and bottom line as they should. The numbers don't lie, ever. So look at them, learn from them, and move yourself and your vision forward. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. Boothmain.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. It's always said that Maine is really no bigger than a small town, and that certainly has proven to be true when it comes to this radio show. Um, One of my children's favorite teachers, and in fact one of my favorite people, Charlotte Agel, who has been on this show, said to us, you know, you really need to have this person, Rowan Henry, on your show. And no sooner had we decided to have him on the show than we realized that, oh, his work is being seen over at the Museum of African History. And of course, we've already interviewed Oscar Mukeme. So we have connections upon connections upon connections, and here we are today with Rowan Henry, who is an author, illustrator, and also a teacher who happens to come from Jamaica, but has made his home here in Maine with his two children and his wife, and we're really glad that you're here. Thank you very much, and um, I, I'm so honored to be on the show. I've um, listened to the show many times and, and have just been glued to it and intrigued by the guests and to to think that I'm here is yeah well everybody's always exactly where they're supposed to be so you're supposed to be here with us and we're very glad that that all came to be in fact it's interesting because I went with my daughter Sophie who's 12 we walked along fellow books and we picked up your book the perfect gift and I opened it up and I read it and I said wow this really is a guy we need to have on the show, and not just because Charlotte Agell said so, even though I trust Charlotte. And of course, I, anytime she says you should do this, I, I will jump to do it. But tell me about your book, The Perfect Gift, which is a children's book. Um, it, it is a children's book, um, but, but that's where it starts. Um, it's also a parable. And um, when, I, when I was writing it, I had um, children in mind, but I also had adults or big children like me in mine also um, because as as I think you you would agree um, you know books are very powerful and um, even though we're moving on to like a more digital uh, format um, I, I think if I could um, you, you know see into the future I'm, I'm almost sure um, even though I might not 
recognize the book that I'm holding, I'm almost sure that books are going to be um, with us um, forever and ever. I believe that. I believe that too. Um, and, and so the specific question, I mean, sometimes yeah, I... Yeah, tell me about yeah. your book. I mean, this is a yeah. book about Leo and Lisa, and they are rabbit friends. They, it's very simple line drawings with um, just a little bit of color and a very simple but profound message. Um, it's where to start. <laughs> um, this book has, has changed my life um, profoundly. Um, um, I started writing the, the book... Um, when my mom passed away um and she passed away um when i was 16 in high school i'm I'm the oldest of four and it wasn't until about 10 years later that i i seriously thought about writing the book and when i say um that i started writing the book i i just write for fun i i love writing um and it doesn't matter what i'm writing um i i i'll write a recipe down. Um, I'll I'll write um, a poem. I, it, it doesn't matter. I I just write, and it's just a part of me. It's an extension of me. So is it the tactile piece that you like, the act of I writing, love or the is it the tactile piece? Okay, that's a, that's or the very, words. I love the so, words. So so all of the above. <laughs> I love the words. Um, you can see me lighting up as we're as I'm just talking and, and just um, I'm just imagining myself um, sitting in, in my dark studio with a light just on the paper itself. And I, I need to do that because um, I'm a little bit ADD and I easily become distracted. And so the room is usually dark and there's usually um, one light that's just beaming straight down on the paper. And so even if I look the left or the right, I usually just see shadows and then my gaze goes quickly back to whatever I'm working on. But I do, I, I absolutely love it. And I, I remember um, vividly, um, and I'm not going to go into too much details about my, my mom passing. It was an accident, and so we were all shocked. And um, I remember uh, my dad coming home, and, and um, I knew something was wrong um, because he didn't come home a lot. He worked a lot. <laughs> and it was, it was the um, end of the school year. And so um, I think it was a shortened day, and I was home at around 11 or something like that because we had exams. And um, then my brothers started coming home, and my dad didn't say anything. I think he just wanted everyone to be together before um, he, he told us about the car accident. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I just sort of um, kind of just looked at him and tuned out everything because people were saying all kinds of things, and my aunts and uncles and everybody's running around, and what are we going to do? Where are we, you know? And I just kind of tuned out everything, and I went into my mom's favorite place, which was the dining room. And it was her favorite place because she had um, copper and crystal things, everything copper and crystal, elephants, cups, plates, figurines. And I, I sat there, and um, I pulled out a piece of paper, because I always have a piece of paper. I have a piece of paper right now. Proof. I always have something to write on. And I, I, I can attest to the fact that you have this paper right on your person. Yes, I love it. Yes, this is radio. So mm -hmm. I have to say that I reached into my pocket and pulled out a piece of paper. Um, and I just started writing. And um, I wrote something about a gift. And I couldn't figure out at the time because I was just overwhelmed with shock and grief. And I, I couldn't figure it wasn't a story like how it is in this form. But I remember it being about a gift 
and wondering where the gift is and wondering if the gift was still with me. And that was kind of like the genesis of it. And so, um, you know, there's different levels to talk about the book. There's the meeting of Charlotte, um, who's my fairy godmother. (laughs) Um, She um, um, took that upon herself to be my fairy godmother. And um, I'm meeting Edith Kroll, my my publisher, and um, my publisher sending me all over the country um, to see, uh, to read and and um, sign books and things like that. So there's that aspect of it. But then there's also, as I, as I was talking about, just the fact that the, the book is, is um, came came out of, um, and I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say tragic, a tragic situation. It just, it just came out of, out of a question, like a lot of things do. A lot of things start with a question, kind of like why, what's, you know, what's going on, what's happening. So it came out of that. And, um, so, um, years, years, years later, I found it, um, well, at least found the piece of paper that I was writing on, and I looked at it, and I can't explain why, but it made me happy. It made me smile. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I just remember thinking, oh yeah, there's, there's this thing about a gift. What's a gift? Where's the gift? Is a gift? Do I have a gift? Will I have a gift? Have I ever had a gift? It was just... It was just questions and questions. And so it started with that. And as I sat down and started to think of it um, with the writer's training, because um, I've, I've taken um, too many um, writer's seminars and, and, and where they, they try to, to take the, I guess, the raw passion and they want you to use craft to kind of put it together, you know, with the with characters and, and um, a beginning and a middle and a conclu- climax and a conclusion, that kind of stuff. So then I, I just put the feelings that I had together with the craft that I've, I learned through writing and just put, put them together, and there they were. <laughs> um, there, the, you uh, talked about the um, drawings. Um, again, one of the reasons why I wanted the drawings to be black and white and just a little bit of pink is because I, I think adults feel more comfortable <laughs> with having something that's not, um, that doesn't look like a children's book. Um, and so I had that in mind too. I thought, you know, should I color the rabbits? And I tried them in pink and I tried them black, um, with pink noses. And I said, you know, what? I'm just going to make them lines. And then as I started to draw them, um, draw the lines, um, they, they felt, it felt right. Like I, I did the ears and the ears aren't really connected. And, um, it just, it just, they just started to flow. It was like a, just like a visual haiku almost just smooth lines just simple lines lines that aren't connected and um so you have to kind of look at it before you realize it because i think you could easily just look at them and think oh it's a it's a rabbit but then when you look really closer um the head isn't connected to the body the ears aren't connected to the head um it and and i think the book is like that too so the the illustrations of the books go go together because when you look at the book it's like oh this is a simple book but if you um think about the book um and, and, and think about, um, you know, w- what is the gift that he's trying to give her? Um, why is the gift um, so difficult for him to, to find? Because in the book, he searches through the, the seasons. And, for example, um, in the wintertime, he brings her a snowflake. And as he's trying to hand her the snowflake, the snowflake melts. And so if you think, think about that, I, I, I think, like the illustrations, um, I think there's a lot more. Than, than than you initially would see. 
Well, one of the pages, um, Lisa and I have known each other for a long time, but I wanted to let her know somehow that she was my best friend. So there's that importance of really knowing that somebody is so valued that you want to do something beautiful and amazing for them. And one of the things that he does is to find the most radiant butterfly of spring, which of course is beautiful and wonderful and he hands it to her and it's it's ephemeral and it's it's it is the most beautiful thing he can find and yet that is fleeting this butterfly is truly beautiful said lisa my how kind you are but the glow of the sun attracted the butterfly and it flew away the most radiant butterfly of spring was forever lost wait leo i have something important to tell you said lisa but i was too busy to listen which again is so interesting that he's so focused on her yeah. value and what he can do for her yeah. that he's not really tuning into the relationship. Yeah, the relationship and, and, and who she is and what she might What need. she might really, yeah. Uh, or want. Or want. And at the end, well, no, I said, I searched through the seasons. I searched high, low, far and near, and I still haven't found the perfect gift for you. She puts her hand out and says, Leo, I don't want the perfect gift. All I want is to hold the hand of my best friend. And as you're telling me the story of your mother and your mother passing and sitting amongst all of the things, the possessions, and not that those weren't valued, the crystal and the copper, but isn't that what you want when you're a 16-year-old and your mother has died? Is you you just want her hand. There's nothing else that you would want. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm trying to keep it together. I'm trying to keep it together for my first interview um, with, with the Dr. Lisa show. <laughs> well, but it's very yeah. interesting, too, because one of the things that you and I talked about mm-hmm. yesterday um, when we spoke on the phone was your daughter, Ruby. Yeah. And she's seven? Yeah, she's going to be seven on the 11th, yeah. which she reminded me this morning as I was leaving. She okay. Said, Two more days, Dad. Yeah, so she's going to be seven. Yeah. And you were talking about her um, found objects and how yeah. she has now her own first show which is also is that also the museum yeah, of, of African, African culture, culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that she actually kind of is, is she's like Leo the rabbit running around picking up yes. you know stones and sticks and robin's eggs and and the, and the tactile things but what it what really struck me is that the gift that she gives you is more than the gift of found objects. It's sort of the gift of insight back into yourself. Yeah. And um, this artistic sense that you said is so interesting. She's, you know, six going to be seven, and she already has her own show. And as an artist, you didn't have your own show <laughs> until... Until no. um, the first show um, that I did was um, a show called The Pet Project. And um, it was... a. Uh, show of children's book illustrators and um it was at the zero gallery right here in portland and i was with it was um oh six um 2006 and i was just my i i was <laughs> kind of you know um how you think you would react if you were um at um the oscars or something like that and some of your favorite stars or whatever movie stars walked by you I just I just remembered seeing um, Catherine Falwell, who who's become a friend of mine, and um, of course Charlotte Aguil and uh, many others. Just you know, just thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> why why are my illustrations here with with all you know all these um, great 
um, artists. And at the time, I, I had just the, the one book. Um, I have three that are published right now. Um, a four, a fourth one which was bought, but um, I'm just not comfortable with it, so um, it hasn't been released. Um, but but yeah, and you know th that was a long time ago, and um, the thing things have developed from that point, from from where I had my first book and now um, four that that have been purchased by publishers, major publishers. But back to my daughter. Um, there are not really words to describe. Um, what I feel when I see her, when I'm around her, when I hold her. There, so I'm not going to try to to use adjectives. Um, I I know that I'm alive, and I know that I'm here, and I know that I'm always continually working to to be a better dad and a better person. Um, and when I see her, um, she she challenges me in, in that way because she's she's much more headstrong than I am, and um, I I'm. I never really enjoyed classes, um, but I, I think she's going to have a harder time with than that with me um, because she she knows how she wants something to look, and when I look at her illustrations or her um, found art, she makes sculpture out of out of found art. I can tell that she knows exactly what what it is that she wants to do, and um, if you went over to the museum and looked at her piece, um, you you could tell that there's a narrative there. Um, she chose um, an egg, and it's a blue egg, and she put um, little pebbles inside the egg. And so um, from far away, it, it, it looks like there's something going on in the egg. And then when you, when you get up really close and you notice that, that it's, um, it's, it's pebbles and some of them, um, the light um, um, hits off of it in a certain way. And it's, it's, I could just tell that it wasn't something that she just decided to put there because... They were. They asked her to, to do it. That she put a lot of thought into it, and um, so um, she's you know she's she's a, a lot more um, driven, direct than I am at this point. Um, even at even at seven, she really is. She she will draw every single day, and if she doesn't draw, she gets upset and she gets cranky. And I want her to do more um, than just draw. I don't want her to to just draw and paint. And but uh, you know, I don't have much say. In that you know she she's her own person and that's what she loves doing but you know sometimes I'll see her draw for two three hours straight and, and my wife and I will say okay what can we do to kind of get her away <laughs> from her easel or wherever she, you know where she's working and get her to go outside and kick a soccer ball or, or, or do something like that the goal of the dr. Lisa radio hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. One of the things I've often learned through working with nature and landscape for the past 30 years is how abundant nature is, how much abundance there is out there in the natural world, and it's really limitless. And I think that one of the things I'm going to refer to, The Spell of the Sensuous, again, from David Abram, and a wonderful book. And if you have a chance to get it, or perhaps he's on, on a CD, I would strongly recommend picking him up. The breathing, sensing body draws its sustenance and its very substance from the soils, plants, and elements that surround it. It continually contributes itself in turn to the air, to the composting earth, 
to the nourishment of insects and oak trees and squirrels, ceaselessly spreading out of itself as well as breathing the world into itself so that it is very difficult to discern at any moment precisely where this living body begins and where it ends. I think that what this is trying to tell us is that it's limitless, that our connection with nature and our energy is out there in, in the ethos, and it's expansive, and it's as, as expansive as we let it be. And if we think of life that way, we will move with the, with the current of life, the ebbs and the flows, and abundance will flow into our life almost effortlessly. But we have to allow that to happen. I'm Ted Carter. And if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendinitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. At the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we believe we are helping to build a better world with the help of many. We like to bring to you people who are examples of those building a better world in the areas of wellness, health, and fitness. To talk to you today about one of these, fitness, is Jim Greaterichs, the president of Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Here's Jim. Does your busy life leave you with aches and pains and make you feel stressed and run down at times? At Black Bear Medical's Premier Sports Health Division, we have the answer to revive you and invigorate your body and soul with our line of massage chairs from Human Touch. Come see how you can get a complete body workover in as little as 20 to 30 minutes. Mention that you heard about the chairs on the Dr. Lisa Show and receive a 15% discount off your brand new stress-relieving, pain-reducing massage chair. I'm Jim Greatorex, president of Black Bear Medical. Come on in and see our trained staff down at 275 Marginal Way and at www.blackbearmedical.com. I think it's interesting that people don't always realize the gifts that they have to offer other people. And even at age seven, she's giving you a gift by sort of reflecting back this artistic nature that she has. And you've enabled this to happen because you've put her in a place where there is art and you've also given her the room and the space to create this art herself. And you've been respectful of that. And, you know, it it can be as simple as holding a hand or it can be as simple as... Um, or not even simple, but it can be as complicated as trying to be the best parent that you can for whatever your child needs at any given time. And and I think that that, for me, is why when we talk about the perfect gift, it really is ever-shifting. Yeah, it is. And and, um, the title, The Perfect Gift, um, when I, I, at one point it was the gift, like the gift of the se- of all seasons or from all seasons or there was all these different titles and i was just skirting around the issue you know when you try to um, put a title to a work you want to take the essence of what it is and 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 and, and um, use that as the title and the perfect gift came to my mind i pushed it out 
and I try to think of other things. The rabbit who loves giving. <laughs> and I'm just like, what should I call this thing? And the perfect gift came back in my mind. I'm like, this dialogue, inner dialogue with myself. Why are you calling this the perfect gift when there is no perfect gift? Why would that be a title? And then I said, that's it. That is the title. Because and there is always a perfect gift. It just isn't always the same perfect gift. And it's always changing. Exactly. It's always changing. So um, if you if you if you try to hold it and and say okay I've got it, then you're gonna have a hard time. But if you say um, like for example today my gift to my wife is gonna be to be patient. I'm not always gonna be <laughs> patient, but in that particular conversation or in that day when we're, you know we're talking, I can I can do it. I can be patient. I can listen. You know, I I can handle that. Um, if the gift was Rowan is going to be patient for the rest of our marriage or even the rest of the week or <laughs> for more than four or five hours, <laughs> that's where it all falls apart. It's kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't think. You've got the drawing that you do. You've got the writing that you do and your drama and the teaching. And just it's very interesting that you are able to kind of be present, hold someone's hand wherever they're coming from, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like, whether you're Ruby's father or whether you're a student's teacher. It's interesting because in our current society, we like to be very linear. I am this, I am that, I am a whatever it is I am. Yeah. And you're not really trying to put yourself in any one role. You're saying, I just am. Wow. <laughs> no, as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, I, I, I do. I, I, I guess as soon as I just settle on one definition of myself or role to play um i i for me personally can't speak for anyone else i i feel i feel i feel empty in that in that sort of just trying to be you know this is what i am and and, and but if i can um be and exist in in more of a non-linear way and and just try to um draw when i can and hold someone's hand when i can and um you know be a teacher, be present when I can, be patient when I can, um, I, I, I feel more alive. I feel more alive that way. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm part of the universe, that I'm, I'm here. Well, Rowan, I'm glad you are here, part of the universe, part of our conversation. Um, I encourage people who have not read your book, The Perfect Gift, to either go right up to Longfellow Books in Portland if they live here or somehow otherwise find it at a local bookstore. If you have to go to Amazon, that's fine, but we like our local booksellers. Also look into your other three books. Um, um, yeah, um, two of them that have already been published. Um, the um, um, Goodnight Baby Ruby, um, <laughs> which is that's a kid's book <laughs> it's it's a kid's book um because it's about my daughter ruby and her bedtime or lack thereof routine <laughs> and so it's a kind of a funny book in the sense that the parents want a routine but there's there's no routine it's it's if they can catch her then they can you know get part of her pajamas on or, and if they can catch her they can brush her teeth with her but they have to catch her to do that um, so that so, that is a very kids book. So um, you have two other so two other books. Yeah. You have this one, yeah. Good Night Ruby, and then the third and the gift box. And the gift the box, gift. the gift box is um, about an elephant who um, um, who is um, kind of like either I'm not sure if he's two or fourteen, but he thinks about himself and he thinks he's the the cat's meow and the you know the, he just thinks that he is 
it the center of the universe and so he dresses up like a gift you know kind of like how you see those people outside sometimes <laughs> um outside of a store and they'll dress up like a I don't know, like whatever it is they're selling inside the store. So he gets up, a get up in a box, and he tells everyone he is the gift and he is the most important thing. So that's the gift box. And how can people Egotistical find... Egotistical elephant. I, I like it. I'm sure we all know someone like <laughs> that. How yeah. can people find out more about the work that you're doing? Um, you can go to um, rowanhenry.com. Um, um, that's my website. And um, but uh, also you can um, go to the um, Museum of Afro American Culture. Um, they have a website, and um, where else can you find? Um, yeah, no, that's... and maybe they'll just see you walking down the street. <laughs> yeah, or hanging out at the Acosisco School, being yeah. a teacher. I appreciate your coming in and talking to us today. We've been talking with Rowan Henry, a Jamaican-born author, illustrator, teacher, Yaman. father. <laughs> <laughs> and husband, who now lives here in Maine. We're really glad that you're here with us. Yeah, thank you. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 105, Words of Wisdom. Our guests have included Gibson Faye LeBlanc and Rowan Henry. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and Pinterest. And read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Words of Wisdom show and that our guests have inspired you in some way. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage. Ted Carter, Inspired Landscapes. And Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street in Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org.